Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. It's James as always taking you through this one. Got a very special guest in just a second for you. But first of all, thank you very much indeed to moonrisecricket.co.uk for their support of the Cricket Badger Podcast. But without further ado, we've got the red carpet rolled out today for a very special guest indeed. I'm not quite sure whether to bow, scrape or kneel in front of Sir Geoffrey Boycott. How are you? Pretty good so far. I haven't got the virus. Uh, Rachel's good. Uh, my daughter and husband and the baby, yeah. So far, being careful and touch wood, haven't got it. That's good stuff. You're going to take on the Cricket Badger 20 questions today, Geoffrey, and we'll start off with question number one, which is always a good place to start. If not a cricketer, if not cricket in your life, what would you have done with yourself? Where would life have taken you? Uh, well, I played football for Leeds United and loved it. I played for Leeds United under 18, to what they call the Intermediate League. Uh, Rach Carter was manager, John Charles was the uh, star player, wonderful player. Uh, we used to play on the Saturday mornings behind the main stand. We had a porter cabin there because I think the big stand uh, where the players come out and uh, the best seats, that was burnt down in about 57, I think. So we had to get stripped in a porter cabin and there were two pitches there where the big car park is now. Yeah. They were uh, going away from the stadium at the opposite angle. And uh, we used to play there. I love football. I'd like to have got into football. But uh, unfortunately, at the age of like, 17, my eyes were going. And uh, it affected my cricket, football, and football more so. Because they didn't have cornea contact lenses then. You can't play football in glasses. So I had a tough time then. I know what people have said. People have always said to me, uh, other friends who play golf, said I'd have made a a good goal for it would have suited me. And I think that's right. Because at cricket, 
you can't practice batting unless you've got bowlers. So I was always going around trying to find people who would bowl at me. And bowling is hard work. It's not so easy to get people. If you're a golfer, you can practice anywhere. You can practice like Terry Ballesteros did and made himself a genius at short game. You can get a bit of sand, practice bunkers. You can practice hitting balls off the beach so that you get perfect contact. You can practice in rough grass. You really don't need anybody. And I really believe with my mentality, I'm the same age as Nicholas. I think he's just a few months older than me. I think I could have won majors because in the years when Nicholas played, Palmer player, the field is what starts 150 people, but there were maybe only 30, 35 could win it. Now, every player that plays comes in with a great technique. They've had all these aides and professionals to help them have perfect swings. They've had competition in all the universities in America. can all win. It's much tougher. But I think in Nicholas's era, which would have been mine, I think it would have suited me. I know you like your golf. What's the lowest handicap you've got down to in your time? Well, I didn't really start it till I was ooh, finished cricket. I didn't finish till I was 46. I think it was about 89. I met a lad at a golf course in Leeds, and uh, he was a Ledbetter teacher, and he started to get me going on the proper lines. Otherwise, what you have is, uh, as a cricketer, you have timing. You can hit a ball. I mean, I close my eyes and hit a golf ball. It won't necessarily go straight. <laughs> the difference, it's a different technique to bat it. But you've got ball sense. You've got timing. You can hit the ball. And he got me into golf. But by then, I was 49. So I've been to about seven. You mentioned Leeds United at the start of your answer there. That's my team, Geoffrey. But you, supporter-wise, you've been on the dark side, haven't you? Manchester United, the other side of the Pennines. I have. I, uh, I saw Dennis Law play. My uncle took me in his motorbike and sidecar to Huddersfield when they were in the first division, which was the Premier Division then. Oh, I was quite young, 15, I can't remember. He took me and there was this young, thinly, skinny kid with his collar turned up, sleeves down. You thought a puff of wind would blow him away. and But then when the ball came, he was like lightning. And I'm, that was Dennis Law. And he's been my idol ever since. I've met him a number of times. His journey went, what, Manchester City? Then he went to Torino in Italy. And then Matt Busby bought him. And he came back and I went to see him play. So I used to travel over the Pennines every fortnight in the winter to watch him play. Fell in love with him, Bobby Charlton. And then later on came the genius of George Best. And he was a genius. And I've met George, I've met Bobby, I've met Dennis. And uh, yeah, fell in love with those three. Simple as that. And it all came from Dennis Law. Terrific players, weren't they? Terrific players. Yeah, what I never understand, although I play for these and have a love for them in some ways, I do. Why they have such animosity and antagonism towards Man United? What the hell for? We bought some of your players. You sold them. You decide to sell them for a lot of money. (laughs) Why? It's like war when you play us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, at, I've been at Ellen Road when Manchester United have turned up and they've had to drive the bus right into the stadium because the fans... But it are, shouldn't be war. It, exactly. Yes, you should have your own team you want to support and shout for them by all means. But God forbid, it's sport, man. It's not somebody's life. Who has been the biggest influence on your career? Oh, without doubt, my Uncle Algie. He played for a local club as a bowler, team bowler, swing bowler for Aquith and... Uh, he took me with him when he was, oh, I must have been eight and eight, nine. And we used to catch the bus from Fitzwilliam to Ackworth, not that far. And uh, he was a bowler, he couldn't bat. He, he had something wrong with his eye and lost the sight in his eye at a very young age when they didn't realise it. And so 
batting was a problem with only one eye, but he, as a bowler, he was very good. He took me with him. And when he saw I had a bit of aptitude knocking up before the start of the match, he'd let me bat while he'd loosen up bowling. And I'd learn to score and do all that. He, he asked my mum and dad if they'd send me for coaching to Johnny Lawrence's school, which was at Tadcaster near Leeds. And uh, he took me there to meet Johnny. And, well, it was difficult because the cost for coaching was six shillings and a bus fare for two buses was three and eleven pence. And 10 shillings out of my dad's wage as a coal miner was mm. tough. Uh, they couldn't really afford it. But I used to go every Saturday morning from being about nine until I could got better and can go in the evenings. And my auntie Annie and Uncle Jack paid two and sixpence. My Uncle Algie paid two and six, leaving my parents to pay five shillings. And that went on from being nine to, oh, till I started work, really. And Uncle Algie, that, that's where the love of cricket started, because it's a life sentence, isn't it? When you fall in love with cricket, you never really fall out of love with it, and that's where it started, I've, was it? No, I've never fallen out of love with it. No, I love watching. I'm not one of those players who've played a lot and then I can't stand it. I love watching. I love watching it live or on TV, yes. He gave me lots of good advice. He, he always said to me, you can't make runs in the pavilion. Stay in, lad. <laughs> he said, it's better your mates are watching you bat than you're out watching them bat. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good advice, that. Makes sense, doesn't it? It makes a lot of sense. What's been your best moment in cricket? If I could take you back to a day in your cricketing career, where would you like to go to? Oh, it'd have to be my 100th hundred, hundred. Look, we, we, I've had over a thousand first-class innings and there have been some magical moments. There have been some terrible times, but whatever happens for... When I die, the lasting memory will be my 100th hundred at Headingley. I wasn't the greatest batsman that ever lived, not by light years. And yet nobody in the history of the game had ever made 100 hundreds and done it in a test match. And the media were all going mad about I was 99 after getting my 98th against Australia at Nottingham in my comeback test. Then I think with three days off and I got 100 for Yorkshire against a rain ruin match uh, at Edgebaston against Warwickshire. Then they were all saying, ah, oh, he's going to get his 100-100 as, as if just like that you can get 100. <laughs> Not easy to come by any time. <laughs> then the extra pressure of England-Australia, test match, uh, headingly, home ground, big crowd. But they were all believing I was going to get my 100. And, well, I did. Um, I was so wound up the night before. Oh, I knew the pressure and everything. My Rachel then came over to relax me and she was there at the match and she was actually sitting down by the rugby stand there at Headingley, the old rugby stand. When I hit it straightish, passed the ball on the straightish on side and it went near where she was sitting. And later, when I was drinking champagne and being interviewed on the balcony, we found out a long time later, didn't realise it, it was a photograph with me raising a glass of champagne with a stump in the other hand. We took some photographs for our house we had built in Cape Town in 2005, I think it was, first Christmas there. So from 77 to 2005, and she got some photographs, and she said, oh, I was there that day. I should have been there. I was with the crowd outside the pavilion. And when we looked, you could see her in the crowd wow. right under my elbow where I'm lifting this champagne glass. Marvellous. That's perfect symmetry, that, isn't it? I mean, it's a boy's own tale, that, to do it at Headingley and everything like that. I've spoken to a lot of players, Geoffrey, and they say they can remember certain things in their career crystal clear. Can you remember that, that on-drive that went past Graham Roop and hit the boundary? Can you remember that clear as day? 
Yeah, I can remember what I was thinking as well. Um, Rachel told me afterwards that, oh, I was on 80 some a long time and everybody was worried. I said, well, I wasn't worried. <laughs> I was only nervous when I was on naught or the first 20 runs I had to make. Once I was in, I I didn't believe in the nervous 90s. I thought, I better to get 90 odd runs. I'm in charge here. I'm in control. Unless he bowls me a magic ball, it's just a question of me keeping cool, waiting for the right ball, put it away. And I knew he was going to bowl me a bouncer and test me because he, he bowled medium, medium, steady. They couldn't get me out, so they tried Greg Chappell. He was the captain, just a couple of overs, see if you do some at daft. And I knew he was going to bounce me, which was a quicker ball he bowled. So I'd sucker you out, so I let that go. I wasn't going to try driving through extra cover because I knew he just swung it out. I might nick it. I'd just wait for the right ball. I actually knew I was going to hit it before I did. I Once it left his hand, I think it pitched around off stump just outside. But the length was right. But as soon as he let it go, I knew I was going to hit it before I hit it. And I just took it from outside to in to hit it straight past the wickets. And as soon as I hit it, you see my arm go up. I know it's gone. It doesn't have to happen often, that type of thing, where you're so in the zone that you know precisely what you're going to do before you do it. But that was a magical moment where I did know exactly what I was going to do and was able to do it. So it was a magical time. I've never been in that zone, Jeffrey. never ever. Well, I've done it a few times like that, but it is a few. And, and, and I can tell you, it is what you practice for all those years. You practice years and years so that you can play at the highest level and you can do it when it matters, under pressure, under the most extreme moments when it's so important. And... That's what you practice for. And then the mental side is the key as well, that you, you practice your concentration, your patience, to hold it all together when you're being put under such severe pressure. And purely is that what you practice for. And then when you're in the 90s, for me, it's not a problem. I was always amazed that I got out in the 90s sometimes because I felt that is the easier time. The hard time isn't when you're on north, first 10, 15, 20 runs. And you're right in the, f- the first part of your answer, though. When, when people look back in 100 years, say, and they're talking about the, the greats of yesteryear, it'll be those images at Headingley that you are in the books for, isn't it? That, you know, raising your back, your two so. arms to the air. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Moonrise is a sports engagement website to allow sports fans to learn from the very best. Get a personal video message recorded for a fan's special occasion. Have a professional cricketer as your next coach by getting video feedback or having a 30-minute conversation with some of the world's best players. Players such as Jimmy Neesham, Colin Munro, Tammy Beaumont, Danny Wyatt, Monty Panasar. Visit MoonriseSports.com or go to Moonrise Sports on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Moonrise Cricket, let's play. What's been your worst moment in cricket? If uh, The flip side of the question, if I could take you back to a day that you don't want to relive, where would you take me there? Where would you not want to go to? Well, there are obviously one or two. Like, like I said, there are good moments. There are quite a number of bad. It's not just one. I think the first one I really encountered was 1965. I played for England in 64. I've been on the tour to South Africa 64-5. As a young kid, I wasn't the finished article. I was trying to hold on to my place and so forth. We get to knots and uh, we play in England, South Africa. And in fact, it was one of those great test matches where 
people saw Graham Pollock, who was a wonderful left-hand batsman, make 100. Thank you, made 125. I made naught in the first innings, caught it slip off the fast bowler, Peter Pollock. He was a good bowler then. Nasty so-and-so too. Second innings, Tom Cartwright broke a thumb and I bowled 26 overs to fill in for him. Mike Smith was my captain, good man, top man. So I had to bat then to try and save the game. We were under the cosh, they were winning. And I made 16 and was bowled by the left-arm spinner, Athel McKinnon. He bowled me an arm ball. And when he bowled his arm ball, just occasionally, he sort of went slightly wider the crease. You could see it all the way. And yet, I was like a boxer, punch drunk. I mm. see this coming. I've seen it. It's like reading a Google. You've seen it. And I couldn't play it. I was almost couldn't move. I, I'd never experienced anything like that. And he bowled me out. I mean, you get bowled out sometimes and just a good ball. But I'm seeing this all the way. And I was... Absolute tears going home. I knew I'd, I'd topped it up. I wouldn't get picked for the next match. And then there's the danger you might not get picked for the tour of Australia coming up 65-6. So my whole career might well have gone down the, the drain that much. So I was at a very low ebb. I'm lucky that, uh, or good enough or whatever it was, in the next five, six weeks, I got my act together and I finished up making the famous Gillette Cup innings of 65, mm. 146, to help Yorkshire win the match against Surrey, win the Gillette Cup. That got me on the tour of Australia. But at that moment, that was the lowest ever I'd been. You mentioned you bowling there and having to bowl that long spell. I always remember you bowling in your cap. Was that something you always did? <laughs> no. I thought my bowling was rubbish. I helped <laughs> turning my cap round and make them laugh so they couldn't hit me. <laughs> Who was your cricket hero when you were a youngster, when you were growing up? Was there a, a guy that you looked up to that you thought, I want to be him? Tom Graveney, without shadow of a doubt. First test match I saw was at Headingley. I think it went a couple of days. I was 11, 1952. Um, England were playing India. It was actually the test match where Fred Truman debuted. And uh, the second innings, I think India were not for four. They, in 14 balls, that was. And Gallic Betsy got a wicket first over. And Fred got three wickets in eight balls. And I saw Tom Braveney bat. He made 71. And uh, he was my hero ever since the elegant way he played front foot, back foot. And I was lucky then. His career still went on a long time. He played a long time, like me. And when I played for England in 1966, what, I'm 25. He was picked for the second test at Lords, I think it was. England versus West Indies. I'd opened with Colin Milburn, who was out first innings. And Tom came in and I batted with him. So I batted with my boyhood hero for quite a while. Yeah, I can even remember his first ball. It was a bouncer from Charlie Griffiths, a short ball. He went to hook. He gloved it. It went down leg side and the keeper diving with his left hand, just miscatching it, went for four. Tom made 90-something and I made 60-something. and So I had quite a nice bit of batting with him. So that was nice. That's pretty special, that, isn't it? Yeah, when you're talking, and I remember talking to Brian Close when I was working at Yorkshire, and he had a, a pretty much a photographic memory for field changes at 3.23 against Sussex and stuff like that. There seems to be a bit of a trend from your era that you, you do kind of remember the minutiae of games. I wonder if it's going to be the same for modern players when they look back at their careers. I don't know. I don't think they know the history either, where I was always interested in the history. I like tradition too. I think that's a big part of cricket. And 
like to study the old players and read about them and things that happened. And you know, I find that fascinating. The <laughs> players, I don't know, you'll have to ask them, but they don't seem to know much about the history of the game. If you could trade lives, Jeffrey Boycott, with any current cricketer, you could live in their skin for a day and feel what it's like to play like them and be like them and have their lives for 24 hours, who would you choose to uh, jump inside of? Well, I wouldn't wish to, but if I had to, you were asking me the question. Yep. I'd have thought I'd probably pick Virat Kohli. Uh, technically gifted in all forms of cricket, but the other thing is that Weber is a star in India, has over a billion people supporting him. They idolize you. And there's actually millions of Indians living all over the world that still follow Indian cricket. So I don't know how many there is that are your supporters and oh, they, they just think you're God's gift. Money's not a problem. Advertising, you live like an icon. If you've ever been to India, cricket and Bollywood stars are the biggest things in India. Bigger than the government. It's a prime minister was going down one street and Kohli or Tendulkar down the other, I know where most of them would be. Yeah. Sorry, it just is. I mean, you can't get bigger in India than a, a cricketer marrying a Bollywood girl. Oh, that's like that's like heaven for Indians. Just is. That's like Poshenbeck's times about 20, isn't it? Oh, Poshenbeck, he was a very good player, but he, he wasn't the greatest we've had at Man United. Sorry, and she ain't the greatest singer. <laughs> Well, I can certainly agree with the second part of that. Uh, and when you've gone to India, I mean, you must get your fair share of attention. What's that like? Yeah, they've liked me. They've been good to me. When I got my cancer of the throat, uh, of the tongue, I was working for ESPN and uh, they were ringing up with the, uh, the people from ESPN saying, wanting bulletins from Rachel, how I was. They'd had hundreds of faxes and phone calls, uh, all sorts of things. And they, were, and they were putting out bullets about me. Look, if they take you, if they love you, they love you. It, it's almost beautifully like childlike. Mm. It's innocent. It's nice. It's lovely. They don't want anything, maybe a picture of autograph or anything like that. It's just uninhibited, nice. It, it's lovely. I mean, anybody who says it isn't, it's a liar. So wherever you go, restaurant, everywhere, can't do enough for you. I've had that to a small degree as an ex-player commentator they like. Just imagine what it's like if you're Kohli or Tendulkar, the iconic player, Indian, national. Wow, it's like 10 times that. You've no idea. I'm going to put you in charge of world cricket for a day. The first thing you change, what, what are you going to do to make cricket better? Well, first of all, I'm not saying the word you use there, better. I think the quality of the cricket played today is excellent. Mm. It really is. I must say that first. I, the quality of the batting, the ball, yes, it's different. Yes. They, you know, they've got bigger bats. They hit it further in the air. We couldn't do that because we, we might miss hitting the whole out. We, all that, the better pitches, the better drainage, all that. I accept that, a better batsman's game. But the actual quality of the cricket is good. What I concern, I'm always concerned about is that in this modern era, because everything changes, cricket's had to change throughout its history. Everything today, people want it faster now. We've got mobile phones we didn't have. We've got iPads. We've got instant news, instant sport on satellite TV from all over the world. So people don't want to wait. Like, go to West Indies. When I played in some of the series, we'd finish the match in the evening. They would try and take about 75 80% of the cricket. Hope they got some good shots and some wickets because there was no live TV. 
and then they go cook it at the hotel and get it on the British Airways flight that night to London, and then it go to the studios, and it'll be on the night after that night. So you're looking at 24 hours later, you would see a little bit, two or three minutes, on the news of England playing in the West Indies. That happened to all countries. Now it's changed. Everything is needed instantly. So we have to be aware of that. And I think we still retain the quality of cricket, but it's the overrate. The players dawdling around. And I just think modern life has moved so quick that if we want test matches to survive, we have to concertina that without changing the shape of the ball, the bat, the length of the pitch, the height and width of the stumps. Don't change anything like that. Just move the damn players along. And it's not about days. Everybody talks about, oh, we don't want to lose five-day cricket. That's, it's nonsense. You, you're not you're grasping it. Test matches, take this year. Test matches finish in 350 overs. The first test versus West Indies this year was 345.1 overs. The second test, England won, 350 overs. The third test, England won, 272 overs. And so only one match against Pakistan was finished because there was rain and everything. You know, that took 308 overs. The last, the first test was 308.5 overs. So it's not five days, it's overs. Mm. Me, I'd start earlier, 10 o'clock. We used to not start early because the pitchers were fresh and they'd move around and people would get out, they'd lose wickets early. Nowadays, the drainage of the pitches, the covering is fantastic, the cover the whole square. The pitches are so flat and good, you could start at 10 o'clock. I think that would be a better time. Play seven hours, 15 overs an hour, times seven. Some will be over in three days. That, that's my concern with four-day cricket, though, in, in test matches, is that concertinaing those overs in, the modern-day player is never going to bowl those overs, so we're just going to lose well, overs every true, day. that's never. Throughout history, we used to bowl 22 overs late years ago when well, only spinners. They, they used to, but they don't then now. They got 18. I played test cricket in Australia with Raymond Dillon with captain. We won the Ashes, and we were bowling the equivalent of 17 six-ball overs. We bowled eight-ball overs, but we worked out how many balls we bowled, and we bowled... The equivalent of 17 overs. We had John Snow, fast bowler. We had Peter Lever, fairly quick, who went so far on his run. At the time, most of us didn't go that far on our holidays to Scarborough. He went that far back on his run. It took forever. But he got through his overs. We didn't dawdle and mess around. It's administration of the game that's allowed players to dawdle around. And I think we just have to concertinery, do nothing different to it, so that the public who are now have an opportunity to do so many things that they didn't have before and watch television. It's all on television. And when you think about it, that they leave home and they travel on the tube or the car. When they get there, they've got to find a parking space and they've got to walk to the ground. Then when they get to the ground, they've got a queue to get in. When they get in, there's another queue because they've got to search their bags and everything now because of terrorism. And then when they finally get to the seat, the first shower of rain, the players run off. And yeah. then when they've watched the game, they've all that to do to go home again. It's a very, very long day. And more and more people are going, nah, I'll watch it at home. I'll watch it at home on telly. Wife will cook lunch. No hassle. And there is a danger as we go on that we think it's just keeping it five days, keeping it all the same. It's all right if you're a player. Fine, you're getting well paid for dawdling around. If you're a commentator, it's okay. Hotels are paid. I've been there. Dinner's paid. 
best seat in the house and the payer for actually watching it. Oh, wonderful. But it's the people who pay at the gate. And these days, it's not cheap. Watching sport is not cheap anymore. Try and watch football. Tricky. I mean, Lord, it's £100 a ticket. Mm. Wow. That's a lot so of money. All I'm saying, I just want to move it into the where we get the same cricket. Nobody's doing anything different. It's over three or four days, that's all. It's a better product then without anything changing except a little pat up the bum, move it along. If you were starting your career again today, if I could let the current day Jeffrey Boycott talk to the teenage Jeffrey Boycott, what advice would you give yourself? Would you do anything differently? Oh, yes. All the kids now grow up having to learn one-day cricket. One-day cricket is with us now. We didn't have that before. We didn't have one-day cricket of Crash Bang Wallop, did we else? I mean, look, we had the Gillette Cup. Do you know the Gillette Cup? When I started, its first two or three years was 65 overs. Mm. That's 130 overs in a day. Just think about it. They can't even bowl the required 90 now in six and a half days in a test match. We had a 65 overs. It's the first match I played for Yorkshire was in 1963. It's an overall year. I was the second team called. I batted about number seven or eight, and we played at Hove, Brighton. And we lost the match at 20 to nine at night, I think it was. The sea mist was coming in. And both sides, I think we got uh, we got 270, and we lost with about 20 runs. And all those runs have been scored, all those overs bowled. It's great. That, that was the first real big one-day cricket we ever had. Mm. And then Sunday League didn't come up. We had Benson Edges in 72, 55 overs each. That's 110 overs in the day. And then we had Sunday League come in 68, I think. That was 40 over short runs. It wasn't quite the same. It was just entertainment on a Sunday. But Benson Edges, as you like court, were where you could have full run-up. I mean, I played in the first one-day international, and we didn't know it was that. We thought it was just a friendly. 1971 in Melbourne. Uh, the rain kept on coming down and washed out the test match in Melbourne. They'd lost all the money. They didn't get much money from television then. All the money was from gate receipts. Melbourne was the biggest supported test match. And they abandoned the match. Next minute, we had to play a, a friendly uh, against Australia. 45, eight ball overs, I think it was, on a pitch where the outfield was a bit wet and dodgy and pitch had been covered and was zipping around when we play but with no pre-sales of tickets 40,000 people just turned up on the day just turned up like that paid at the gate and they knew they had a winner and that that was then claimed as the first one day international we thought it was just a hit and giggle to get some get some money in for the Australian board and we're losing money when the Melbourne test isn't played uh, one day cricket is here and we all learn it kids learn it now because they know it's huge I mean, they know if they play one-day cricket and they play it good, all they have to do is go to India with two empty suitcases and somebody's going to fill it with pound notes and money, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. It's simply that. And kids are not stupid, you know. As much as they want test match cricket, and they know they're going to be judged a lot by how good they are at test matches, certainly against their predecessors and all the history of the game and who else played test money, you're going to be judged against them. Also, there's this back of the mind. The bells are ringing. There's huge gold to be earned in, in places like India for the IPL. That's the biggest change. 
I should have started this by saying congratulations for becoming Sir Geoffrey. Um, since I last saw you, you've been knighted. Um, how much does that mean to you? Is that is that something very special? Yes, it's nice. It's nice. Oh, we should have got it twenty years ago. I'm not going to be. I'm probably not going to have it long before I die. I mean, unfortunately, none of us live forever. I mean, with my 80th birthday coming up on the 21st of October, I mean, you know, who knows how long? So, I think it's nicer for somebody like. Uh, Andrew Strauss, Nellis to Cook, at such a young age. Yeah, but anyhow, it's nice. It is. It's nice. It's a recognition. I mean, for years, so many members of the public used to call me that in, in affection. But, yeah, it's nice. Did you have your day at the palace? And if so, who, who was it that passed you the award? Prince Charles. Now, the ceremony for all the people there, I think there were about four of us or five knights of the garter. Prince Charles did it. It takes about an hour and a quarter, those ceremonies. The Queen can't stand an hour and a quarter now. She's been marvellous. She's done a fantastic job as Queen, but can't. He did it. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant to me. Talk to me, everything. He said, said, congratulations, and about time too. (laughs) Wow. I thought, that was nice, wasn't it? That's all right, yeah. Well, yeah, and he chatted away. He could see my badge. I carry or I put it on my lapel most places when I'm going anywhere. My... uh, Yorkshire Air Ambulance with the helicopter. I'm a patron of that and whatever, so I've raised money for them. So I got to, we've had two dues here at Boston Hall. We've raised over 50,000, Rachel and I, having a big marquee and dinner on the lawn. And I got to a million pounds from the Chancellor, George Osborne, for them. When I was working at Yorkshire, I brought them on board as, a, as an official charity. And I, I, it was very interesting talking to them because they need an awful lot of money just to get the ambulances in the air every day, don't they? £12,000 a day. Yeah, crazy. £12,000 a day to keep two helicopters going, one up uh, to Topcliffe there, up there, and one uh, is actually near where I was born. It's at Nostal Priory, at the back of Nostal Priory, where the Rose Garden was, which is, what, a mile and a half from where I was born at Fitzwilliam. It's one of I've those... been there. Yeah, yeah, I've been there a few times. I've been. It's one of those services as well, Jeffrey, that everybody might need at one stage. You know, it's uh, it's not something which is niche, is it? Everybody might well, use that. Well, I decided to support it. What can we support? I do one or two other things as well, but you hope you don't need it. But whoever needs it, as long as you do with what age you are, you know who you are. What you know doesn't matter religion, anything. It's just where you are, Yorkshire. And they do go over the border to help each other a bit. Mm. We've got two in Yorkshire because it's a big county and they can get there quickly. I've seen them on duty. I've seen how they work. It's brilliant. They save, oh, oh, 1,500 lives a year. You've spent your life in what effectively is an entertainment industry, isn't it, sport? You've been a player, then into the commentary box and on the telly and everything like that. When I've spoken about you on social media, I get that impression that you're a bit of a Marmite figure. Some people absolutely love you. Some people don't. And they bring up the French conviction comments of, you know, concerning race and stuff like that in the past. How, how much does that affect you? How much does popularity mean to you in, in, in your career? Uh, look, whatever you do, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, whatever you do, you're not going to be perfect. Um, and people should try and understand that. that all, just because you're a sportsman in the public eye and do that particularly well, it, not, none of us are perfect. We, we, we're like diamonds in a way. We, we shine in that particular sphere of our life, that particular sport. And that's nice. We hope we give pleasure to people as well. But all diamonds are flawed, like us human beings. We may shine brightly and do good things, but <laughs> we are flawed. We, we're not perfect. Nobody is. Um, 
people who don't like you, sometimes they don't like you because uh, they don't like your batting. Uh, you batted too slow. They'll say, oh, you ran so-and-so out. And they'll bring up things like that. And um, oh, I don't like the fact that you're, you're for Brexit when you're a Remainer. And they'll just find things like that. And honestly, they just don't like you. So whatever you do, <laughs> they're never going to look at it objectively or fairly. And the French case, it was and still is the most painful experience of my life. Mm. To be set up by someone you were close to in a foreign country, a totally different legal system, different language. I mean, you just look at people being accused of things in foreign language. Look at, I was reading about that, that lady who's been in prison years in Iran. They said she's spying and she, she looked nowhere near like a spy a job. They're not letting her out. They're not talking to her. It's a different system. Nobody can get through to the Iranians. Uh, Forever the Margaret Moore episode in France will be a stick to beat me with by whoever doesn't like me, uh, right or wrong, true or false. Those that don't like me will always use it against me. It's sad, and I realize it's a cross I have to bear, and I do. I, I know myself that I didn't hit that lady. I have no violence, and there's been no violence in my life. <laughs> Somebody else come forward because... I'm frank, I'm forthright, I'm straightforward, I'm opinionated. I don't have to resort to violence. And fortunately, most people who know me don't believe it. Simple as that. You have to move on. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.